You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. But Romans 1, verses 8 through 15 is what we're going to read just in a second. I've got a picture up here this morning from Oliver. Oliver is back here. So this is from him. Now this is from two weeks ago. So my memory's not great. I think Oliver explained this to me. Um, I'll do my best. You can see it, yeah, up here. On the one hand is a hand, and it says, I am God. There's a check mark there. And then the other is, I am Satan, and there's a hand. I'm not sure if this is God's got his hand over Oliver, or God's hand is mightier than Satan. You'll just have to get the correct interpretation from Oliver, but I'm so thankful for the picture. So thank you guys, and thanks to all that that are just writing down different things that either just are on their minds um, as we go through a, through a sermon just in the week, and I'm, I'm always thankful for that. And there's others, uh, you can look in the front entrance there. Take a look at those. Just, just, uh, it's just fun to see those. All right, we're in Romans. We're in chapter 1. We're in verse 8. Let's first hear from God's Word. It says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of His Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Let's pray once again. Lord, as we enter your word right now, we recognize what is before us. It is your word. And we pray once again, Lord, give us understanding as we work through this. Understanding as we look through these various verses and how they how they fit together and what Paul is after here and what you're after then for us who want to be instructed and trained from your word. So Lord, just open our hearts again, Lord, to to worship you in listening and then worship you in going to do and act upon what we have heard. May we be those who hear your word and do what it said, not hearers only. And so guide our time, bless it for your glory. In the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. In their introduction to their book called Rediscover Church, two authors, Colin Hansen, Jonathan Lehman, they make this statement. Here's what they say. A Christian without a church is a Christian in trouble. A Christian without a church is a Christian in trouble. I wonder if you would say that or... If one says, yes, I'm a Christian, but have not a church, or maybe very, very rarely are, are part of a church, are they in trouble? Is that, is that statement right? 
I think it is, they go on to say this. They say, God does not invite us to church because it's a comfortable place to find a bit of spiritual encouragement, though we are encouraged. We're going to talk about that. They say, no, he invites us into a spiritual family of misfits and outcasts. He welcomes us into a home that's rarely what we want, yet just what we need. I want to read that last line again. He welcomes us into a home that's rarely what we want, yet just what we need. As we come to our passage here in Romans, just these, these eight verses here, still kind of in this greeting section, still the introductory remarks of Romans, Paul's main thrust here is to express what you see it twice here, just to express his desire. He wants to come to the saints in Rome, or the, the church in Rome, we could say, or church is. And he wants this mutual encouragement by the gospel, or in the gospel, by each other's faith. So he wants to come and be encouraged, strengthened, and be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. And so I think it's this passage today that can help us kind of recalibrate our view, at least in part. We talked about why we get together just a couple weeks ago as we started this year, but in part, at least one aspect of this, why do we come together? I think this passage helps us think towards that. So let's begin our study, come to the text, and come to verse 8 to begin with where he says first. Now, I'll just say, it's none of my notes, but he never says second again in this letter. So I don't know where Paul's going, but he just says first and then we're off. And, and I don't know where second comes. You can put it in where you think it might go. But he says this, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Now, before we get to other things, I want you to catch something in this passage uh, that's just right at the beginning, and maybe we just we read it so much we just kind of fly over it. But it was pointed out to me by a, uh, a man named Justin Taylor. He wrote this. It was in an email to, to pastors, but he said this. He said, I, I once heard a pastor make the simple observation that the Apostle Paul never once said thank you to anyone in any of his letters. What? He never said thank you to anyone? says this, every time he felt gratitude well up in his heart for his friends and co-laborers and the churches he had planted, he put it in the form of thanking God, the good and gracious giver of all things. Do you see that in the text? First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Paul thanks God, that's, and he thanks him for what he's heard of the church. So, the point here is to see what's, what's Paul's lens, his lens that he sees any fruitfulness, anything he's seeing, he's thanking God for what he's seeing. And then he's thanking God through. You see it, I thank God, my God, through Jesus Christ. Now just pause it. I mean, we, I was telling him this week, you could, I think you could make a sermon out of just this through Jesus Christ because it's everywhere. It's all over the place. It's not unique to just verse Eight here. It's in other places in the New Testament, uh, Corinthians, Thessalonians, Hebrews. You've got ideas, First Peter, Jude. But here, just a couple other places. You don't have to turn there, but I'll just you might you might just hear it because we hear it throughout the writing. Romans five one says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans five eleven. Paul says, more than that, we also rejoice in God 
through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Or in Romans 7, 25, Paul asks, who's going to deliver me from this this, uh, body of death? Who will deliver me? And his answer, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is not unique. This phrase, I thank my God through Jesus Christ. This phrase gives way to the truth. And maybe if we need to be reminded of again that all we have in the Gospel, all we have comes through Jesus Christ. I cannot be reconciled to God. I, I can't have peace with God. I can't be justified, declared righteous. I can't be sanctified, presently made holy in Christ, progressively made holy by the Spirit. I can't offer myself. I can't give glory apart from Jesus Christ. You see how central He is. He's central to Paul and He ought to be central to our lives. Christ is the center of our lives as believers. And may we never get too far removed from the One through whom we have this great salvation. We never want to stray far from Christ and the Gospel. And that's what Romans is bringing us back to the Gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the first couple words here. But why is Paul? Why does he thank God through Jesus Christ? And the answer is the second part of verse 8, because their faith, the faith of the, the believers in Rome, their faith is proclaimed in all the world. You can put in their belief, your faith, your belief, your trust, it's proclaimed. Simplistically, it's a noun here. Simplistically, one commentator rephrases it, your Christianity. Sometimes faith is used for that, that type, my faith, my Christianity. So it's always a, kind of a dangerous phrase. I'm always cautious. Faith in whom? Not just faith in faith. Faith in Christ. But your faith, Paul uses it. Your faith is proclaimed. Now at the, at the end of Romans, in the last chapter in verse 19, chapter 16, Paul inserts there, he says there, Something is made known to all, but there he inserts the word obedience. Your obedience is made known to all. Kind of this this interchangeableness. So, in some way, these Romans' faith, here verse 8, it's it's proclaimed, it's made known. Not some ambiguous faith. I would propose it's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul knows no other faith than in Christ. Not just faith, like we talked about. And it is a known faith. It's not hidden It's a faith also that had legs. A faith in Christ that walks and oozes. I think for those with true faith in Christ, it oozes out and it cannot be hidden. So Paul is thankful to God for a faith proclaimed from the Romans. And now he's going to explain what he's been praying for in in much of the rest of what we have before us. So look at verses 9 and 10. Now he says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Paul essentially, he's saying, I have have been yearning, I have been praying. God can testify to this. I want to come to you. That's my desire. And then just Paul just he deviates again, just slight deviation to just describe how does he serve God, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. 
Paul does not serve God to gain favor, to gain righteousness. He serves him back. We're just back to Jesus Christ, back to the gospel. Again, Paul is, to use the term I like, this, the word tethered. He is tethered to Christ. He can't get far without bringing it back to Christ. That's how he serves God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel of Jesus Christ frees our spirit and Paul's from slavery to sin to slavery to obey now God. Why? Because He is our God. We're adopted as children of God through Christ and the gracious work of His Spirit to know God. He's our God. He's Paul's God. And He serves them through the Gospel of His Son. But then in the latter part of verse uh, 9 here, and then into verse 10, Paul has been praying. We see this prayer here. He's praying. He describes it without, ce- uh, without ceasing, asking in some way. Paul's got a goal in his prayer. And the goal is, again, like, like we said, to come to those in Rome. He wants to come to them. Ultimately, Paul. so what's Paul's prayer? I want to visit you. I'm praying that I can visit you. And this is maybe what we might not expect Paul to be praying. We, we might expect him to be praying for something else. In Philippians, we saw him praying uh, in the first chapter, verses 9 through 11. He's praying for their spiritual growth. You know, here Paul's just, he's praying so he can come. And that just, maybe it's, maybe we think, oh man, what, isn't there more to be praying about Paul? And I'm, I'm sure within this, he's praying more things. But this is on his heart to come. He wants to visit them. He wants to come to them. And the reasons he does are spelled out as we look further into verses 11 through 15. So look first at verse 11. Why is, why is he praying to come? Verse 11, For I long to see you. That I... I love it when there's a that in there. Why, why do you want to long to see them, Paul? Why are you praying this way? That I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Now, there's not specifics here. I don't know what the spiritual gift Paul has in mind here. Could be something general. Could be Romans later on in Romans in chapter 12. It talks about, uh, Paul talks about the different gifts given to each believer. He talks about prophecy and service and teaching and exhortation, generosity, leadership, mercy. We think of those as maybe spiritual gifts. Here it's just, I want to depart you know, some spiritual gift. We're not sure what. Maybe, maybe just his, Paul's encouragement. I don't know, but the purpose of it is clear. What's the purpose of Paul coming with this spiritual gift? And you see it there in the text. It's to strengthen you. It's for their strengthening. And the word here isn't just you know, to make them buff. It's buff on the inside. It's a, there's an inward strengthening of the church in Rome by Paul desiring to come to them. I think in the flesh, in person, to come their way. God gives gifts through His Spirit. For what? Not for our own, like, wow, i got a, I got a great gift. This is something to be... It is for the building up, the encouragement, the body of Christ. Each part strengthening the other part. So he's, He wants to come for their strength. But then in verse 12, Paul speaks, and it, and it may sound, if we're thinking of Paul the Apostle, it might sound surprising. Look at verse 12. Because he qualifies. He says, I, I want to bring some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Verse 12, that is, that we may be mutually 
encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. So the faith here, this is, I think, a key text in this passage. The faith of each and every believer is not just a solo faith. It is for mutual encouragement. The Roman believers, they need strengthening from Paul. And then Paul, he's, he's the apostle. And Paul says, no, I'm coming and I want to be mutually encouraged. You will encourage me by your faith. And so this makes what we do on a Sunday or Wednesday or Saturday, when we gather as believers, you gather in homes as believers, it's the importance of coming for this mutual encouragement of our faith, of our lives. Your faith will struggle. That's why you can say it. without a church, a Christian is in trouble. It will struggle without the body of Christ. My faith as a pastor needs you. I need your faith to encourage me. And then I, in turn, encourage you. It's, a, it's mutual. May it not be just me, just, just here you go. But I, and I am, and praise the Lord, it is, and we, we celebrate that. That's our meeting today. We celebrate God's encouragement amongst us. So, the absence of any one of us is detrimental to the encouragement of the whole. This is nothing new. I think we've touched on this before. I just want to make sure that each of you understand this. Whether you are drawing a picture right now, you're that young and you're drawing with crayons, you're important to be here. If you're six and younger, you're 16, you're important to be here. You're 26 and 56 and 96. You're part of the body. You're here for mutual encouragement. We need, if you hear me speaking to you, that's you, singular, not looking at every one of you, but you, you are part of this body. Every one of you, all, all of us misfits and outcasts. It's, it's the body. It's who God has brought together and we're essential. Let's develop this thought a little bit more. Let's look at verse 13. Paul says there, I want you to know, brothers. I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. Now, Paul explains here, again, he, how persistently he has tried to come, but he's been prevented. And you, you, you get a sense, again, in, this, in the broad passage here of Paul, he's got a strong, he's got a heart and a desire, again, to what? To come to those in Rome. He wants to come for their strengthening, and as we're talking about, for their mutual encouragement. He wants to be with them. And so in verse 13, he puts it in, in agricultural language, that I may reap some harvest among you. It seems here it's as if it's been raining and Paul just cannot wait to get out into the fields. Farmers would know that. Waiting in the rain, I've got to get out to the field for the harvest. Paul just can't wait. He wants to get out, but he's been prevented. He can't get out there. But again, we're asking, okay, reap some harvest. It could say reap some fruit. What kind of fruit, what kind of harvest here does Paul have in mind? What's, what's he thinking of? And again, it's not specified. One commentator, Doug Moo, thinks this. I like it. I think it's helpful. Kind of takes a both-and approach. He says, harvest here refers 
to the product of his apostolic labors, Paul's apostolic labors, including here probably both an increase in the number of Christians through evangelization among the Romans and, so the both and, increase in you know, evangelization, conversions, and a strengthening of the faith of the Roman Christians themselves. So I think here you could see Paul desiring to reap some gospel fruit is, yes, the conversion of souls. To, the, to see those who have not known Christ, to know Christ, to bear fruit. But that gospel ministry also bears fruit in the encouragement, the mutual encouragement of the gospel, of preaching the gospel to those who already know the gospel. It's the idea, you've heard the phrase before, not mine, rehearsing the gospel. That encouragement, when we hear the gospel again, that we're encouraged in it once again. We're not, oh yeah, that's, that was my conversion. I'm not really interested. We ought to be interested. We ought to mature, and we ought to mature in our desire and the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me personalize this just for you in terms of your harvest. What kind of fruit? Are you like Paul? Have you longed to be with your brothers and sisters on a Sunday here? Or Wednesday, Saturday, whenever you gather, gather in homes, gather here. Think of the Sunday gathering, but it could be other places. Have you thought this about yourself in a sense as you head out to gather with God's people of reaping a harvest even among the gathered body here in this church? My guess is if you're like me, you're more concerned. We tend to be concerned with ourselves. How am I going to look today? How's the sermon going to go? How's this teaching going to go? I'm just all kind of right in here. And, and we lose sight of, wait, there's a heart, there's a heart, but there's people to be ministered, encouraged to, to look after, to strengthen the faith, and that I may be also encouraged to look out for that. So practically, we say, how, well, how do we gather? How do we come and look for fruit or gather fruit or, or do this? And I'm going to just go out on a limb here and say it's like a farmer who approaches farming. Now, you all know I'm not an expert on farming. I live, I live by a, a field that's close. And I've rode in, a, rode in a combine and such. But it seems to me, if you boil it down, and you guys can correct me, farming includes, there's a general format, and somehow it just all, they all start with the letter P. I don't know. Maybe this isn't maybe how you think about it. It seems that farming starts with planning. You, you, well, it starts with some money and desire and other things, but you, you plan. Maybe this is the season. You're planning what you're going to do. Then from the planning or purchasing, and they all start with P, purchasing the seed, then you plant the seed. So there's planting, and right after you plant it, I've observed farmers prevent, and they're preventing the weeds. You go out, so you plant, and while it's growing, you're preventing everything else that can get in the way of your crop. So there's preventing. Then there's praying. That might be over the whole that might not be at that slot in your chronological farming. There's praying over it. Then there's the picking of it. This, then I'll start with the picking of it. And then you hopefully get paid for it. You're hoping to get some money. There's all these parts of it. You can fill in yours, what I got wrong. But just go with me on the brainstorm. As we gather together, how might we look at reaping a harvest, bearing fruit for you. As you look at the gathered body, what does that look like? So the planning. If a farmer plans, how do we... What, planning? With the plan to go to church? Let me encourage you, maybe so. 
to plan, maybe to plan to think, you know, there's someone in mind today I have not talked to for a long time. And no matter who else I see today, I am going to see them. I'm going to make a beeline to them to ask how they're doing, how the Lord is working, that sort of thing. Check in on them. So make a plan. Maybe it's just one person. I want to see this person. Maybe you plan already, you know. Who am I going to sit with in here today that I've not seen? I, they, maybe they need to be encouraged and I need, need to sit with them. There's, there's planting. Maybe the planting is the, your special, you know, special verse, meaningful passage. Something just the Lord has encouraged you. And as you're in a conversation with someone, you're just planting what? The gospel seeds of the word of God in them. Uh, the preventing, the, the weeds. Now this one, I'm just taking this way. So, uh, as a farmer looks for weeds, so be on the lookout for what would impede your gathering here, your fellowship. What would get in the way of it? Now, surely there's times, and we're talking practically, gathering together Sunday, Wednesday nights, Saturdays, ladies are meeting, Wednesday mornings in the summer, whenever other times. What, what can get, sometimes things get in the way. There's health reasons to not not be here there's special trips there's there's things that keep you from here just be on your guard that those things be the exception and not the rule why why do we say that just so we can get numbers up no no for our mutual encouragement of one another if if it's true that each of us need each of you then we need we need you here if you can Prevent, watch out. Because there are multiple things. And then pray. Praying, pray all around. Pray for an opportunity to encourage a brother or sister. Lord, who would you have? Who would you place in front of me? Maybe you came without someone in mind. Who would it be? Uh, let me just plug Sunday school. Come early. Uh, you come to Sunday school, you get two hours. It's like double the harvest time. So just putting that plug in there, okay? And then picking. Go reap a harvest. Be encouraged. And guess what's going to happen? you will be mutually encouraged in the Lord. Those are just some, just take them for what they are, just brainstorming ideas. Maybe there's others. You don't need to memorize the five Ps of planting and whatever, but just to spur you on, it's, it's important. Now lastly, just lastly, what kind, if we're going to go with the farmer language, what kind of field is Paul willing to work in? Where, does he, where is he willing to go? Look at, look at the last two verses, 14 and 15. He says, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Thinking about these Greeks, barbarians, the wise and the foolish, I think Paul has this in mind, I think, in this place. He's thinking about the Greeks, you could say the Hellenists, the Greeks. Sometimes Greek, I think, is interchangeable with the word Gentile, but the Greeks or those who considered themselves to be Greek, these were the cultured ones, the civilized ones. You know, the Greek, they're, they're, they know what to do. They're, they're civil. How do we know that? Because it's compared to barbarians, the, the savages, the wild ones, the barbarians, maybe we, the hillbillies. I don't know. You, there's probably some other terms you could put in there for this, this distinction between civilized, uncivilized. To Paul... It doesn't matter. It, it's the same to the wise. Who's the wise? Well, the Greeks. The Greeks seek wisdom. We see that. I think it's in 1 Corinthians, the first chapter. To the wise, 
or to the foolish. It doesn't matter. Paul is called to all of them. He's obligated to all of them. One commentator here likes the word, and maybe your translation has the word debtor. I'm a debtor to them. But Paul says here, at least in the ESV, I'm under obligation. This commentator, Leon Morris, goes on to describe this obligation. How can Paul be obligated with the gospel? What does that mean? He says this, For any of us to receive the gospel, I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way, if we receive the gospel is to incur a debt. And Paul shared in this. To receive the gospel is to incur a debt. And then he goes on to quote a guy named Paul Minier, another commentator. He says, Obligation to him who died produces obligation to those for whom he died. I'll read it one more time. Obligation to him who died, to Christ, produces obligation to those for whom he died. We don't know. Who is that? Who did Christ die for? We don't know. So we go to all. We know Christ has called his own from eternity. We don't know. Some, it was Spurgeon said, until they have a red stripe on their back, I'll preach the gospel to all. We don't know who he's called, but we go and we preach and we proclaim. And Paul here, he's willing to proclaim the gospel to whatever field God takes him to. And maybe in Rome, maybe Paul knew there it was just a mixed place, mixed groups. There's Greeks, barbarians, maybe even there. Foolish, wise. He saw a field of harvest. Let us too, just by way of application, let us be careful to not box the Lord's gospel to one group over another, just a group we're comfortable with. Some of you might feel quite cultured, quite civilized, so it's hard to minister to a wild barbarian. That seems really hard. Maybe others of us feel less intimidated with the barbarian and the wild. We're like, sure. I'm not intimidated there, but we're more intimidated why the really civilized, maybe the upper class, and we don't feel like, I'm not sure if that's it. It doesn't matter. Paul says, I'm obligated with the gospel to whomever, whomever God puts in our path. And so may we share with Paul this eagerness of the gospel to preach to the world outside and to preach by our faith in him to those around us. There's an epilogue to these verses, and I just want to take you there because it's just too good to pass up. If you've been reading in the two-year Bible plan, you've just finished the book of Acts, and now you're in the book of Romans, which is awesome. So you can read through the book of Romans and get an overview of this book. But if you've been in Acts reading, you came to Acts 28. I invite you to turn back there. It is only a few pages back. Just turn a couple pages backwards in your Bible, and you will arrive at Acts 28. Maybe it's just one page. In particular, verse 14, and let me just give you just a bit of background of where this book comes to a close at. Because in Acts 28, Paul's going to finally get an answer to his prayer, but I'm pretty sure it's not, maybe it's not the answer he quite had in mind. So in God's sovereignty, we talked about Paul, I think he was writing Romans from Corinth on his third missionary journey. And he travels back, all the way back through, through lands, different places, and ends up in Jerusalem. He wants to get to Jerusalem, and so he does. But while he is there, he is arrested. Paul is arrested for proclaiming, talks about the resurrection, and there's kind of this, this scuffle. Well, they find out there's going to be a threat on Paul's life. 
And so to protect his life, he's moved. There's a plot to just kill him. So he's moved from Jerusalem to the coast, the Mediterranean coast, to Caesarea. So he's moved there. He stays there for two years. This is already, so maybe it's two and a half years into this since he wrote to the Romans. And eventually, because Paul, remember he appeals, I appeal to Caesar. Because he appealed to Caesar, he is then as a prisoner taken to where? To Rome. To Rome. And he gets there by way of a shipwreck. Remember that? You've read about that maybe. It's fascinating reading how God works. But now look, and now you're there. We're in Acts 28. Look at verse 14. And God's answer to prayer. Now, he's, they came through this place, Putioli, or however you pronounce it, verse 14. There we found brothers and were invited to uh, stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier that guarded him. Paul thanks God and he takes courage. God had answered prayer. God has brought Paul to Rome via that of being a prisoner for the gospel. And, and yet here, Paul, he's free. He's free to stay at this, this home. I mean, I think he's on house arrest here, but he's even got security. It's probably better than if he had gone there on his own. He's got a guard out front for him. He's, he's all protected. He's better protected than normal. And so Acts closes with Paul in the city, and there's some teaching. You can read about that at the very end of Acts 28 here. But he's in this city that he longed to visit. And then, as you turn the page, providentially, the New Testament, you're in the book of Romans. You're, you're with, so it's like you're stepping back in time to Paul's prayer. The answer to it is just a few pages before this. Paul's eventually in Rome. I think he was mutually encouraged and took courage from the believers. You may not need to go through an arrest or a shipwreck or wait two years to gather here with the people of God. Here we are together today. But I just want to close with one application out of others, I think, from this passage, but kind of the main thrust that those who have faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, they proclaim it, both in word, we proclaim the gospel, the truth of the gospel, and indeed we live out the gospel. Faith in Christ has legs to it. And... Those who have faith, they are mutually encouraged in the sharing of it. Your faith in Christ is meant to be proclaimed to others who do not know Him. And it's God's means for the mutual encouragement of the body of Christ, us who gather locally. So again, pray. Pray that God would help you see opportunities to share your faith, both with believers and unbelievers. Make a plan and then go planting. And prevent distractions from gathering and proclaiming. And may you, by God's grace and in His timing, just like Paul, didn't get to Rome right away, in God's timing, just look. Be patient and look for how God is moving for you to reap the fruit of the Gospel in lives that you see are drawn to Jesus because of your shared faith. Let's pray.
Lord, I just pray today that we as believers, we enjoy the fellowship and in some extent from our time away that we did not meet for a time. And now we're back together. Lord, we just thank you for this gift once again. It it just seems brighter to gather. Maybe we don't take it as much for granted. And yet, Lord, we are, our love and our longing to be with the sta- saints can, can grow cold and just kind of average and just kind of normal. Lord, would you help us as we gather, even as we eat today, as we speak to one another, as we think of each other through the week, maybe give a call or a text, or we meet on a Wednesday or next Saturday, whatever it is. Lord, may we come desiring to share our faith and to be encouraged. You have graciously given us one another in this place from many different places to gather. We thank you for this gift. May we be encouraged by one another's faith today. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota. 